1: Welcome to this week's edition of the Stock Doc. And I'm very excited today to talk to probably the most disruptive company that I've come across on the ASX. Today's company is a deep tech company and it, it has a Silicon Valley groomed CEO. Very excited to welcome Chris Richardson, the CEO of Lineus Technologies. Thank you, Nigel. Very, very excited to be
0: here and get a chance to talk about Lineus to your audience.
1: That's great. And Chris, you come from an incredible uh, background. And I know that there's a story that uh, I'm just dying to to hear firsthand. But somehow you were responsible for looking at some of the first early commercialization projects around the internet back at Michigan University.
0: Yeah, that's right. The the University of Michigan, go blue. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it actually really happened quite a bit by accident. I was... uh, in, in the early 90s in what we, what we used to refer to as old economy jobs. And I had gone back to university at at the University of Michigan in, in the mid-90s. And just by chance, I ended up working on this research project at Merit, which was uh, the old Michigan Educational Research Institute Trisortium, where they had taken over the routing software from the NSFNet, which had gotten it from the ARPANET, sort of very early Internet days, uh, research into routing and making the Internet actually do what it's supposed to do, which is heal itself when pieces go away, and that was the research project that I was working on as a student. And then in 1999, uh, the university went to Sue Hares, who was the head of that project, and said, "Hey, Sue." I don't know if you've noticed or not, but this whole internet thing, it's, um, it's making money. Hmm. And, and worse, your project's making money. So of course, universities are nonprofit organizations and they're not really out there to be doing profitable things. And they basically gave Sue the choice of shutting down the research project or working with the university's technology management office to spin it out into a, a company, into a startup. And Sue came to me in 1999 and said, hey, Chris... Uh, of the dozen of us or so on this team, you're really the only one who has commercial experience. How would you feel about you know, coming and doing this company? Of course, it's 1999, so this is the height of the dot-com boom, right? Uh, everybody's going public. Everybody's making you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, on the at least in paper money. So what kind of respectable student would I be to say anything other than yes? Uh, and so I did. And we went and wrote the business plan that Christmas break and uh, started the company in February of 2000. And then the whole market crashed, as we all remember. <laughs> um, but it still worked out OK. You know, we ended up raising $8 million from a tier one venture capitalist from New Enterprise Associates out of Silicon Valley. And I moved to San Francisco and ultimately uh, we sold that company for about $50 million a few years later. And it was a, it was a good first startup experience for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, for, for over twenty years, you've been working in in, in tech, and and I guess what uh, as as we start to unpack the story of Linus Technologies, um, listeners will understand is deep tech. You, you but you've uh, you've had a, a fair amount of experience working with Silicon Valley tech companies, and I understand a lot of that experience is really around taking these deep tech companies and helping them with their international strategies. Can you talk to us briefly about some of that experience?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So after Nextop, which was that first startup, uh, I spent the next several years doing a a series of, of, as you say, deep tech startups. So that was routing software. Um, We we did switching software. Uh, I did a hardware company that built early stage, small and medium business targeted uh, Wi-Fi routers. Um, really all this deep technology stuff. And then in 2011, I was recruited to run the division of a a big international public video company uh, targeting their carrier market, uh, international telcos. And that was my first exposure to video. And actually, that was kind of funny for me because coming from a deep tech background where these are hard computer science problems and not to belittle video, but from my perspective, Video kind of worked, right? I mean, YouTube was already there, Netflix was coming around. Uh, In 2011, you know, what possibly could need to be done for video? As it turns out, there is a huge amount of technology behind making the video work on the internet, and it is continually evolving. And so that's the space that I entered in 2011. A few years later, we sold that company to a private equity firm. And as you say, since then, I've been consulting with tech companies around the world on bringing Silicon Valley best practices to them um, until December 2015, when I came to be the CEO of Linus. And the reason I did this is because you know at that point, with 15 years' experience, largely in deep tech, most of it right, really in the heart of Silicon Valley, Linus was absolutely the most technologically disruptive thing I had ever seen, and. I, I couldn't imagine a, that I was going to encounter a bigger opportunity in my lifetime. I'm like, yes, we have to do this. We have to go make this work. And mm-hmm. that's what we're doing. It's very yeah.
1: exciting. Great. Well, I, I want to really start to unpack um, what what Linus Technologies does. But first, let me just confirm the ticker code, which is uh, LNU. So that's Lima November Uniform for Lineus Technologies. Is, uh has a market cap of sub $50 million. I think today it's around about $30 million as we record this segment. And um, look, I'm excited about this company. You're excited about this company. It's ob- obviously grabbed your attention to move over uh, and, and work with really a very small cap Aussie company. You're also based in Prague. So there's a very international focus to, to the work that Linus is doing but um maybe we can uh, just get you Chris to talk about Linus and its opportunity in video absolutely the core technology
0: of Linus is something that we call video virtualization and if you'd like later in the call we can have some discussions around technologically what that means but what it enables is truly disruptive across huge swaths it really maybe all of the video on the internet and Video represents a giant, giant market. I think something like 80% of all traffic on the internet today is video. And if you start to break these things down into, for example, minutes of viewing, right? Everybody's seen the stats that, you know, the average person in the U.S. watches over three hours a day of TV, When you take that outside the U.S. and you look at the billions of people in the world and how much video is watched, not just in traditional TV, but on the Internet, you quickly get to trillions and trillions of minutes of video per year that get watched. What Lineus enables is a transformation of all of that video. And the exciting part about it, I guess from a technology perspective, is that while it is completely disruptive in terms of what you can do with video. It's not at all disruptive in terms of the workflow of video. So our clients, were uh, we're a B2B software uh, platform. We sell as a SaaS model. So our clients are the businesses that own the rights to the video that they want to do something with. So mm-hmm. you can think in terms of, uh, sports clubs or leagues or, uh, Corporations that have internal videos or universities that are recording their coursework or broadcasters that have the right to rebroadcast something. Whoever has the rights to the video is a potential client of ours. Mm -hmm. And then what they choose to do with that video can be anything from enhancing the protection of it to prevent piracy, uh, to controlling the distribution and access of it. For example, in uh, the intelligence community, when people have different levels of classification, maybe one person can see a whole video, but somebody else with a different classification could only see parts of it. Yeah. Uh, and I could go on and on of the use cases. Really and truly for, I don't know, the first 18 months that we were out in the field selling this, 100%, 100% of the meetings that I sat in, once the people on the other side of the table understood what we meant by video virtualization, they came up with a new use case that we had never thought of before. Yeah. We literally have hundreds and hundreds of these things that we can go through. But from your audience's perspective, and I think from uh, really any reasonable shareholder's perspective, what's really exciting is where we're hitting the ground first and where we've had our first commercial
1: success and traction. My What what really blew me away with the technology was the search capability. But when I've spoken to people and i said, you know, Linneus, they can search video. People kind of tune out because they, they're not really understanding what what Linus technologies can do to video. Can you just talk about the search capability in the video? So if you think about
0: the way we search
1: a book or search
0: text, you, you type in some words and you find that that phrase that you're looking for somewhere in the text. But if you think about searching video, If you go search on YouTube for something you may want to find in video, so show me the last 10 St. Kilda goals. If somebody has created a video that has the last 10 St. Kilda goals and they've put that in the description of their video, then YouTube will put it at the top of the page along with their 6 million other things that they find that have something to do with St. Kilda and goals or something. Mm-hmm. But what you're not doing is you're not searching within the video itself to find when the goal occurs and pull that out and let the audience see exactly what they wanted to see. You're not really searching the content the way you do, the way we're used to searching with text-based search. That's one of the things that Linus provides, and the applications of that are wide. So, of course, just the ability to do that, to say, hey, show me the last 10, say kill the goals, that's great, and that's fun. But to be able to do deeper searches is very appealing to people who are in the sports industry themselves. So you can imagine, for example, an AFL coach wanting to say, okay, I want to see the last 10 shots on goal by Dusty Martin from outside of 30 meters where he's kicking with his left foot and being able to instantly pull out those video clips. And again, that's powerful and compelling in and of its own right. But what really gets people excited is this notion of personalized TV and being able to create through setting up your own rules, your own personal TV channel. So if we go back to what I was saying about our target audience, our customers being the broadcaster, the rights holder. If that client happens to be a sports league, you, know, you can imagine going to, for example, Uh, the NFL in the US and saying, all right, we're going to let you create personalized highlight reels for all of your 60 million um, fantasy league fans. But it gets more interesting when somebody has rights to more than just one piece of content. If you go to a more traditional broadcaster, uh, somebody like a Channel 9 here in Australia or uh, a Foxtel or a Sky, somebody like this who has rights to multiple sports and news sources and entertainment sources, then you start to get into the scenario where an individual viewer can come in and say, okay, I'm going to create my Monday morning TV channel. And for Monday morning TV, I want to see uh, any highlights from the Liverpool game if Liverpool played and any highlights from Essendon if Essendon played in Aussie rules and any highlights from the Patriots of the Patriots played in the NFL And uh, I want to see any time that any of these three players from uh, the English Premier League played. Okay, so that's my Monday morning sports show. Now I'm gonna create my weeknight entertainment show. And I'm gonna say, I want this every time to start off with 10 minutes of clips that follow the same rules as that Monday morning thing. And then if there are new whole episodes of whatever your favorite TV show is, uh, Billions The Game of Thrones, whatever, I want to see those full episodes. And I want 10 minutes of news highlights. And because I'm a sugar commodity trader, my news highlights should focus on weather patterns in Hawaii, Louisiana, and Thailand. But really just whatever you want it to be, you get to start choosing what you watch and when you want to watch it and filtering out all the other noise.
1: It's absolutely amazing. Um, And the opportunity here in so many different sectors is phenomenal. But I want to just talk to you, Chris, about the $30 million market cap and the massive opportunity here. Because despite your experience in working with Silicon Valley, in proven experience in in, in building up these companies and their exits, what did you as- underestimate when you came into Lineas?
0: I, I think there were two things, one of which is a Pre-revenue startup Australian market RTO specific thing. And one of which is a technology disruption general thing. In the former case, so we we came down here with the intellectual property, the core patents that we used to build out Lineas, and raise the funds to build out the software and go to market through an RTO on the ASX. And the reason we did that is that at the time we were able to raise the money we wanted at much more quickly and much less dilutively than we would have been able to do in the private market spaces. This is sort of a classic problem for software companies in Silicon Valley that almost invariably, you reach a point in your life cycle where you need about $2 million US and that's a very hard amount of money to raise in the Valley. Hmm. It's it's too big to do with angels without getting too big of a consortium together and it's too small for the real Series 1 uh, VCs to do as a as a Series A round. Yeah. So it, it happens all the time. to software companies they just get stuck, and that's why we brought it down here to Australia. It seemed like a great opportunity. In fact, I still th- still think it was. It, it worked out really well for us. But a couple things came along with that. One of which is that when you go through this process of an RTO, you bring in all the old shareholders from the shell. Hmm. And in our particular case, we also brought in a bunch of other shareholders from the original company that had the intellectual property that we were acquiring. And those two classes of shareholders came out of escrow at different points in time. And these are people who had invested their money and they sat with whatever their previous investment was for, in many cases, years and years without seeing any return. Hmm. And so when it became liquid, when they exited escrow, they took that opportunity to get out of their position and, and you know, either make some money or, at a minimum, minimize their losses. Which, while perfectly understandable, was extraordinarily annoying to us as as the current shareholders in the company because it really devalued the stock pretty quickly. And you know, we saw it go from uh, around eleven cents down to five cents from one of those two events, and then down from five cents to sub three cents from the other one. So that was just a Kind of a nature of the business in the market that we hadn't really anticipated, and even when we knew it was happening, we tried to take steps to to minimize the impact. Yeah. And you know, we reach out to outside investors, you convince somebody to go make block offers to these potential sellers and try and get their their shares off market without overly uh, deflating the stock price. But human psychology always comes into play, right? And these people, they're like, why would I sell to you for a 5% discount on market when I could just sell on market?
1: No, I I understand. And so really what there's been is an overhang of stock in the market that's put the price down. But what else do you think you've underestimated? So that was the market underestimation.
0: The second thing was really... So I don't know if you remember this book from... uh, Actually, I can't remember when it was. Late 80s, early 90s, maybe, called Crossing the Chasm. Yes,
1: yes. Yep, about about uh, the growth cycle.
0: Yeah, exactly, and really going from early adopter uh, to massive growth stage. Now, I've done lots of tech startups, and we've done lots of sales, and it's been lots of lots of selling of new products. But much as when I came into Lineus, part of the reason I did that is that I'd never seen anything this new and disruptive. Equally, I'd never gone out and sold anything this new and disruptive, and. Mm-hmm it turns out when something's really brand new, it's hard. Um, Even when it's as compelling as our story is, and and even when the technology is as transformative as ours is, you run into that sort of nobody wants to be first. And you run into enterprise budget cycles where they say things like, well, this looks great, but I don't have a line or a budget item for video virtualization. Because that didn't exist before you walked to the door. And a number of things around this, the challenges of bringing a truly new thing to market in the tech space. Yes. Uh, and quite honestly, I think that it really led to at least a, a solid 18-month delay in in getting where we wanted to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess the, the the rational strategy for that, where your product can basically be applied in so many different markets, is to... Probably compress and focus on just a few of those horizontal markets. So, can you talk to us about this? Your strategy and your approach to identifying? Yeah,
0: that's that's exactly the the tack that we took. Uh, we we looked at the many dozens of opportunities before us, mm. and we said, okay, yep. of all of this, which ones do we think are the the lowest hanging fruit, the most the biggest market opportunities, and the most compelling proposition, So they should be the easiest to tackle. And we came out with four horizontals, as you say, Mm -hmm. video search, anti-piracy, security and defense, and advertising. And we went to market sort of chasing all four of those to see which ones were going to stick first. And perhaps we were overly optimistic, but in in our minds, we were thinking probably one of the four isn't really going to work in the timeframe we want. Two are probably going to be pretty good, and one will really take off. And in point of fact, it It took us much longer than we thought for anything to stick, but now it finally has. And that's what has gotten us to this point where in the search horizontal, we're delivering this personalized TV into the sports vertical and then into the news vertical. And we'll move on from there into additional vertical markets where the notion of personalization makes a great deal of sense. Um, For Mm -hmm. example, there are applications in security and defense and Mm -hmm. corporate communications. And then from a go-to-market perspective... You know, we talk about size and the size of the market opportunity. The world's a really big place. And this is just our first toe in the water of the overall opportunity. At no time soon are we going to be hiring 5,000 salespeople around the world to go target even a fraction of this opportunity. So from our perspective, it's critical to get these first deals done in each vertical demonstrate the new technology and show the power it has and make it real in the eyes of our prospects. But once we've done one or two internally, the growth strategy is to push this through channels, through resellers. And we're in the very enviable position of having been able to sign up some great partners, uh, both in terms of local niche partners like the company Swan Bay out of the UK, that is taking our solution and selling it into sports clubs around Europe, but also in terms of, really, shockingly, for uh, what was a very short time ago, a pre-revenue tech startup in Australia, big global brands like Microsoft, where we've been accepted into their co-sell program and are currently working hand-in-hand with them to get their 30,000-odd sales reps around the world selling Linus technologies. So we're, we're in a great spot to scale the business.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Well, look. Is there uh, w- what can investors hope to see in terms of news flow coming out of Linus in the in the short to medium term?
0: Over the next couple quarters, there are really three things that we're focused on that that should drive pretty good news flow. The first is for our existing signed deals, moving them from a signed contract to having them actually deploy a solution using our technology and helping them be successful in their markets because ultimately their success leads to our success. And so we should see that happen with the likes of the National Basketball League and with Sports Hero, who's launching into the Indonesian Soccer League, uh, Essendon Football Club, really looking for the announcements about the launch of those services, which will directly lead to Linus Revenue and our overall greater success. The second thing is you know, we do have 18 months of work on a, our internal direct sales sales pipeline, so there will be more direct deals closing over the coming months. Mm-hmm. And ideally, those should be showing up in verticals beyond sports. So we will, of course, have a few more sports deals that we sign directly, but we'll be looking for deals in education, security and defense, corporate communication, other sectors that we can expand to beyond sports while our channels take up the sports pitch. And so that's the third thing to start looking for sales happening of the hyper personalization technology in the context of sports through our reseller partners. I think those three things make up the news flow, but at least
1: for the next few quarters. Absolutely. Well, Linus is a, a very exciting company, uh, certainly one that I. Have bookmarked and uh, and we'll be watching. It's on my watch list. Chris Richardson, thank you so much. I understand that you're about to head on a plane and head back to Prague. So thanks very much for taking the time for a call from us today.
0: My pleasure, Nigel. Happy happy to answer your questions, and I'm delighted to speak to your audience. And I'll
1: I'll happily come back anytime you'll have me. Great, and Chris, we may very well do that. We may get you back in uh, in 12 months' time just to give us an update on where uh, where Linnaeus is growing, and hopefully we're starting to see some great growth. Chris Richardson from Lineus Technologies, thank you very much. And thanks to our segment producer, Georgia Rayson.